Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another Photo Taco episode. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your time with me as we go through photography nerdery and try to help everyone to improve their photography. I am your host, Jeff Harmon, and I am going to tackle two topics today because they're both kind of littler, and I think together it will uh, it'll make a full episode, so that's fun. It may go a little past the five to ten minutes, but we'll, we'll see. All right, so we're going to start with Alexander Mavrogato, and he asked me to discuss the depth of field button on the front of the lens. He says, do you use it? How? I never have, and I don't know how to. <laughs> Thanks so much for your question, Alexander. And I kind of I was glad to do it because to, to see this question, because I don't use it, Alexander. I don't use the depth of field button. And it's made me wonder if I need to incorporate that better into the workflow I use as I'm taking the photos. Has nothing to do with post-processing, obviously. But as I'm going out to take photos, depending on what I'm doing with uh, with family portraits, which I do a lot of, or landscapes, so that I try to do more of, uh, you know, I, I have certain kind of things I've become accustomed to, how I work, how I get to getting the shot. And I'm refining it continuously. I get better at it. I get more knowledgeable. I get more used to the controls of the camera. I get more used to what the different controls do, and it makes me change continually. I, I feel like I'm getting better every shoot at being able to do it. And that's really kind of what it takes is getting better at it every shoot. And this would be just another one of the things that you could consider in that workflow as you're there taking the shot. Should I maybe use the depth of field button? So let's talk about what it is. First off, it's usually not on the lens itself. I know that's what it kind of he said in the question, but it's usually right near where the lens connects to the body on a lot of cameras. Uh, it's not usually the button that you have to press in order to release the lens so you can swap it out with a different lens, but it's nearby. It's around there somewhere. It's going to be different on every camera body, so you're going to have to look it up in the user's manual if you don't know where it is. And um, here's what it does. When you're looking through the viewfinder, and again, the viewfinder, for people who may not understand what that term is, it's what you have to put your eye up to as you're taking a photo. It's not your LCD display as you're watching. It's when you so when you're looking through the viewfinder, you are looking through the lens. You're through a mirror on a DSLR. You're looking through the lens. This is a place where mirrorless cameras have an advantage because they don't have this same problem. They don't even have a depth of field button because they don't need it. That viewfinder is an electronic viewfinder usually, and it is already showing you actually way more information that you can get on a DSLR. It's one of the advantages of a mirrorless camera for sure. All right, but on a DSLR, when you look through that viewfinder, it's going down through the mirror and out through the lens. And you are seeing what the lens is seeing. But what you're not seeing, what isn't hasn't happened yet, is the aperture die, you know, go your lens going to the aperture you have your settings set to. And uh so it, it's so that because if it did, your viewfinder all of a sudden looks a lot darker. So let's talk about two different, let, let's say you have a lens on your camera that has a maximum aperture of 2.8. It can, wide open, it is at 2.8. That means that the aperture really isn't closed down any on your camera. It's letting the full light through and it, it also is going to have a depth of field that's, that's as narrow as possible on your camera. 
And so that means less of the picture is going to be in focus. Whatever you put your focus point onto, whatever's in plane or even with that focus point is going to be in focus, and anything else is going to be out of focus, slightly to a lot, depending on kind of the focal length and so on. So there's a lot of detail that goes into that, not the point of the question. All right, so when you press the depth of field button, though, what what is what you're telling the camera to do is say, it's okay, I want you to go to the aperture now, even though you're gonna make the viewfinder go darker, because that means you may let less light in. If you set your f-stop to f8, and your lens is capable of f2.8, if it actually stops down to f8, far less light's coming through, and your viewfinder is going to look much darker. So this is why the manufacturers, by default, when you're looking through the viewfinder, have it open up as wide as it goes, so that it looks as bright as possible, and you can see clearly the scene and what you're taking a picture of. And that's probably why I haven't incorporated it much into my workflow. Because it does go so dark, I find it less useful to try to see what's sharp because you can't hardly see the scene. If you're taking pictures of people, it's hard to even see how sharp they are because they just went so dark. And so I don't personally find it all that useful. And I'm very used to my lens and camera body and what the depth of field is. I've shot it enough now that I know what I'm getting at different f-stops. I know if I have one person what to set it to, if I have two rows of people what I have to set it to, but it's all come from experience. And you can kind of get the same effect if you chimp, if you, which is a when you look down at your LCD, you take the picture and then you lower the camera and you look at the back of the screen, we call it chimping. That, if you do that, then you can get the similar thing. You can see what's in focus. You'll be like, whoa, that second row of people, they're not in focus. Better lower the aperture or uh, raise the number of the aperture a bit more so I get more depth of field and could do it. So I guess maybe that's why I don't use it much. It's it's not something that's muscle memory for me at this point. I haven't incorporated it there. And because I kind of get the benefit from because I'm looking at the camera anyway. So, it, but if you're shooting something that you can't miss, <laughs> you have to get it right. Again, I'd probably just take some test shots before the can't miss event happens and make sure I have it dialed in. I'd try to get maybe some models in front of me, get the two rows of people, whatever, and, and chimp and look on the LCD screen. It's bigger anyway, it can be brighter. It's a, it's a kind of a better way for me to evaluate uh, the depth of field than it is that depth of field button. But anyway, that's what it's there for. I'd, be, I'd love to know if any of you have experience with it where you think that it's been helpful for you. I'd love to know if you have experience uh, where you found it indispensable and like, wow, that really made a difference. Or if you go try it and you find out you like it, let us know. Let's talk about it on the Facebook group. I love the discussion there. I'd love to hear input from other photographers. I personally don't use it, but that doesn't mean I'm right. That means I haven't used it in my workflow. I haven't incorporated it. Facebook.com slash groups slash photo taco to go join that group and have the discussion. Let's talk about it. All right. Next question I'm going to jump on to really quick comes from John Heslop. And he asked a question that we already answered on Improved Photography Podcast weeks ago where we he wanted to know, does it matter what video or sorry, what HDMI cable I buy because I'm getting a new computer and I'm getting a new video card and I'm going to do HDMI connection to my monitor. doesn't matter. And we already said it pretty much doesn't. There are bad ones out there. There are cables that are like 
poor quality cables that'll fall apart more than not carry the signal. They'll they'll like die because they get they get bent and then break. Um, they're just poorly made. So I kind of would avoid the super cheap, ultra cheap sellers on eBay or on Amazon where you don't know a name. I, I it just you might get one that's good, but you're gambling a little bit in my opinion. And you might be throwing away a couple of bucks because that's usually what they are. They're, they're dirt cheap and they might not be good quality just from a, like a build perspective. Are they going to hold up as you connect them? So instead, uh, Amazon Basics, great place to get cables. They're, they do a pretty good job usually. I uh, wouldn't say they're top notch, but they, they're decent. Uh, of course, any of the uh, actual online stores for camera gear like B&H or Adorama uh, and the like, those they'll have nice cables, of course. They'll probably be a bit more expensive. Is it worth it compared to, say, Amazon Basics? In the case of HDMI, I don't think so. I, I think uh, Amazon Basics would be good. But uh, honestly, my go-to place for anything with wires, anything, Ethernet, uh, DisplayPort, DVI, VGA, you name it, if it has a wire in it, is monoprice.com. M-O-N-O, monoprice.com, P-R-I-C-E. And they have great stuff. I've been super happy with their stuff and buying cables from them for years now. Never had one that didn't work just out of the box. Um, you know, they do wear out, especially like iPhone charging cables. My family seems to burn through those like crazy, but uh, because they abuse the heck out of them. But, but that's totally off topic. All right, so let's get back on. The thing I did want to highlight, though, because it, that was the question we answered a while back, I wanted to talk briefly about the different types of connectors that you have. Because nowadays, especially with PCs and the monitors, you have multiple choices. And which one should you choose? It might be a question I, I would think a lot of people would have. So I'll give you my opinion on how it should be. I've got a lot of experience using the different types of connectors. Uh, first one would be VGA. You know, that's the really old, old one. I'm sure you have seen it on lots of computers. Uh, usually have kind of a, a blue color at the end of the output port on your computer, you know, where you, you plug the cable into the computer, it had kind of a blue end. Uh, the coloring on the end of the, the connector was blue. Had nine pins, uh, looks a little bit like maybe a, a pyramid with the top cut off is I guess how I describe it in an audio podcast. Don't use it. Just stop using it. It's it's dated now. It's lived its life. It had a good purpose for what it did way back. It's over. It's dead. It should it shouldn't be there anymore. Um, but it still is around a lot because there's a lot of legacy things around where you need to. The only option to connect into it is a VGA. So a lot of computers still have them. Uh, but don't use them. They're they're just not high enough resolution. If you connect your brand new monitor that you get today in 2016 with a VGA connection, you probably just changed the, the your brand new monitor and something was 20 years old. <laughs> it's, it's that bad. Just don't use it. All right. DVI was another one to, to talk about. Much better. Uh, a pretty decent choice. It does max out at about 2K roughly. And so if you get a 4K monitor, you're not going to want to drive it with a DVI connection. You can't. It won't work. So it's kind of dying out. It it uh, really had uh, it as a replacement for G VGA was a massive improvement, but it's done too. It, I I wouldn't recommend it. There can be confusion between single link DVI, dual link DVI, and the resolutions they support and the cabling you've got, and it can be kind of messy. So um, it, 
I would not choose that unless it's the only option you've got over VGA. Don't use VGA. If you have DVI, then use DVI if you don't have another choice. Okay, next would be, to me, HDMI. And it's become far more capable. There's lots of versions, though, of HDMI, and that can be the challenge because you, you gotta make sure that the output on your computer and the input on your monitor support the right version for getting high resolution. Of course, we are all used to connecting our TV to a, a Blu-ray player or a DVD player or your satellite or cable through a HDMI cable. It's ubiquitous, of course, it's been around for a long time now. And it, of course, makes the display on your HDTV look beautiful. That's what it was designed for. That's what it was made for. It wasn't necessarily made to do things for computers, uh, but it's been adopted, very standard. And, um, and so it's not a bad way to go. It's probably preferred over DVI, in my opinion. And the, but the challenge, again, is the version of the HDMI connector itself. On your output on your computer and the input on the monitor, is it HDMI 1, is it HDMI 1, 2, is it HDMI 1, 3, 1, 4, 2.0? With every version, there's changes in what resolutions of the display are supported, and that can be a challenge. But HDMI 2.0 can get you all the way up to 4K video at 60 hertz, which means it's going to look nice and beautiful on your computer monitor if you've got HDMI 2.0. The challenge is, do you have it or not? And it can be hard to figure that out. So that's why my recommendation on connecting a computer to a monitor is DisplayPort. It is the highest quality thing at the like least confusing way. Uh, and, and hopefully your monitor and your video card support that. It's also uh, what Thunderbolt is. Thunderbolt is actually, on a, on a Mac, is a mini DisplayPort connector type. So it does more than that. There's more capabilities that a Thunderbolt port has than this, whereas a DisplayPort out of a, a video card, of course, is only going to do a display. It won't, you can't connect um, storage through a DisplayPort connection on a PC. But uh, but Thunderbolt is the same thing in DisplayPort, and it supports up. It goes up to 4K. I can even go up to 4K at 120 hertz in the newest version. That's not actually supported by anything yet. But in in short order, that's going to be there. And and it it's just it's going to probably be the thing that'll win out for computers connecting to high resolution displays. Um, although HDMI keeps advancing too, so we'll see. So that would be my order. If you're considering how am I going to connect my computer to my monitor. Don't use VGA. If you have no other option besides VGA than DVI, then HDMI, and then DisplayPort. The other thing I wanted to mention really, really fast, because I had so such a hard time finding uh, what is actually supported on a Mac. I wanted to get a setup where I had a two, I had two 2K displays and the laptop on a, on a MacBook. Um, it's a late 2013 MacBook, which means anything post that would also do the same thing. The, the MacBook has two Thunderbolt ports and an HDMI port. And I wanted to know, can I drive, make work two 2K displays and the display on the laptop itself? And man, I couldn't find reliable information out there. Maybe I just didn't look in the right place, but I tried to look everywhere to figure out, is this possible? And I, I didn't know. So I've done it myself and it works. I have, um, I've used it where I've connected a Thunderbolt to the display uh, on HDMI and that works. I can get two displays 
at uh, at 2K resolution. I also did uh, HDMI. It's it supported HDMI 1.3 or 1.4, I think it was, so I could get I could use HDMI out on the on the MacBook Pro late 2013. Anyway, well, the short story is I could get two monitors to work fine and still get the laptop lid to work, the laptop screen to work, and that was beautiful. Be able to have three monitors like that. I really like that workflow. It really helps me. I, I, I kind of like that better than just a single big display. I like being able to have uh, the, the three of them. So there you go. I just wanted to share that with you on that question. And that's it for this week. Make sure you check out the mothership over at improvephotography.com constant articles out there that are really helpful especially if you're just getting into photography that's a really good place to get started get some information about all these words that photographers use that are so confusing and uh, check out photo taco too lots of past episodes that will help you define some of those words and what they mean uh, and check out uh, improved photography podcast and portrait sessions podcast another couple of really good podcasts that that we nerd out on photography a lot Portrait Sessions, of course, focuses on portrait photography. All right, that's it for this week. We'll see you in seven days. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a permission is earned. Olay!